You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Join us now here in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this weekly podcast is something we enjoy bringing to you. And uh, I look forward to the comments that we get. We'll share some of those comments later in the program today. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, recovering from this trip, uh, yeah. but uh, trying you not recently to recently returned from Israel. <laughs> That's right, a month in Israel, <laughs> and uh, three different tours of of with thirty people in each tour. Yeah. So um, it was a great time. It's a great time, but I'm just too getting too old to do this anymore, huh? You should. You should know, <laughs> whoa, Wayne. Whoa! I'm going to say if you're getting old, what's happening to me? <laughs> well, we're going to go easy on you today, Mike, because we're going to dip into the archive later in the second half. We're going to go all the way back uh, to Joy in the Journey radio yeah. days. Do you remember this? Yeah. I hardly. I can barely remember starting out this program. I think you were in junior high school, uh, and I think I was in high school, maybe. Joe hadn't been born yet, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Joy in the Journey is what we called this when we first started doing this as a radio show back in, uh, well, we're going to hear an episode from 1999. Mm -hmm. A little intimidating to hear a younger self, but uh, I guess uh, we're secure enough in our manhood that we can put that out there, right? I don't know about you, Wayne, but 1999 doesn't sound like that long ago to me. does not. If if Which I was means... driving if I was driving a car that was a 1999 model, I would still consider that a fairly new car. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with that. We're going to go to okay. a recent Joy in the Journey episode. <laughs> there you go. In the second in the there second half of our program today. There you go. Uh, we're going to hear some of your teaching from the Cove in Asheville as uh, we begin here in just a few moments. But uh, I just want to say too that. Uh, we're so appreciative of the CSB translation. I know this yes. is a Bible that you use, and uh, I, I appreciate it as well. It's it's my daily read, the yeah. uh, the Christian Standard Bible. Yeah, I, I I think you know one of the best. Will, William Lane taught me one of the best ways to love God is to listen to Him, and you listen to Him by listening to His Word. And one of the things about uh, older translations that you're used to, of course, that's a good thing. I mean, you and I probably, Wayne, we probably think in NIV, especially mm-hmm. in the Gospels. If I'm reading in the Gospels in the NIV, I can tell you what the next verse is going to say. I'm, I know it that well. And in a sense, that's a good thing. But in a sense, that's not a good thing because you should never think you know what the Bible's about to say. And all that is to say, when you read CSB, right. because it's a fresh translation, uh, it says it usually in a way that you don't expect. Um, so I, that's one of the reasons I really like CSB. Wonderful. Well, yeah. later, as I said, we're going to hear from John chapter 8. That's mm-hmm. from our Joy in the Journey flashback, as we're calling it. But right now, mm. let's uh, listen to a song, and then we'll hear your teaching done more recently at The Cove, where you talked about, you know, it's our series, or your series, Walk with Jesus. This time, the simplicity of Jesus end times teaching. So that's what's ahead in the next few moments here in the studio with Michael Carr. But let's begin with this song, Who Can Abide? A mighty storm is rising, a darkness in the land. But surely this must be a light to those who understand. 
That all the prisoners of this hope are about to be set free As in one lightning moment a familiar face at last they see Who can abide the day of his coming? Who can withstand the final call? If you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all The valley of decision begins to overflow With some confused, bewildered and some who seem to know that this sad separation was their choice so they can tell he simply speaks the sentence that they have passed upon themselves who can abide the day of his coming who can withstand the final call if you do not stand by faith you will not stand at all Behold the one we trusted in He has come to save us He has forgotten all our sins Who can abide the day of His coming? Who can withstand the final call? If you do not stand by faith You will not stand at all If you've been a, a Christian for uh, as long as most of us have been, uh, certainly through the, the Jesus movement, you know that simplicity was the last thing end-time teaching was about. It was almost very Gnostic. You know what Gnosticism was all about? Gnostics, uh, Gnosticism is about, Gnosticism, it means, Gnosko means to know, to know. And one of the great heresies in the church that, that John, the Gospel of John, is written against Gnosticism. But the heresy was that we have secret knowledge that you don't have, right? And if you're really gonna be initiated and really gonna be you know, the real thing, you're gonna know these things that no one else knows. That is not Christianity. That has no place in Jesus' teaching or in, in the faith, right? Right? Amen? Come on, amen that. So, uh, and, and there was this period when everybody was doing, you know, end times teaching and it was, became very Gnostic. The locusts are B-52 bombers and, you know, <laughs> Gorbachev is the Antichrist. And, and we have figured out all these minute, minute symbols. And, and that's why it's coming out of that world that I say Jesus' teaching is liberating. And so let me give you my understanding of Jesus' liberating teaching. And it's in all the synoptics. Uh, Matthew 24, 1 through 35. Uh, it's in Mark 13, and it's in Luke uh, 21. And, uh, and I'm not pretending to answer all the questions, but I just want to present you Jesus the way Jesus taught at the end time. There's no seat, neat, simple answer. There's still going to be some questions left, but I think this is still helpful. And it's a lesson, this is a lesson on listening to structure. It's very important that we listen to the structure of, of, of the biblical text. Uh, 
And this is, in Mark anyway, this is the longest uninterrupted narrative that we have of Jesus. So needless to say, this is important teaching. So what's the context? What's just happened? The context is he's just torn up the temple for the second time. And um, uh, they're leaving, um, and Jesus is still mad. And why is he mad? He's mad because the, the, the temple officials have set a marketplace up in the court of the Gentiles, which is the only place a Gentile believer in Yahweh can pray. And it was, it was a horrible thing to do. And um, a lot of people believe, and I think this is a good idea, especially in John, the first time he tears it up, that the reason he's so upset is that's the first time it's been set up there. Because traditionally, it was always on the Mount of Olives. So as you were coming into Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives, you would buy your lamb or you would exchange your money because your, your temple tax has to be t- paid in a Tyrian shekel. And so you would ex- exchange your foreign money for a, 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 the proper shekel that has the right weight of silver and that sort of thing. Because a shekel isn't a coin, it's a weight of silver. And so you would do that on the Mount of Olives and then you would go across the bridge and go into the temple. And the idea being is that Jesus is so angry to see it in the court of the Gentiles because it's the first time he's ever seen it there and he's really upset. I think that's a pretty good idea. I won't be dogmatic about it because you should never be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. I just think it's a really cool idea. Um, So he's just cleansed the court of the Gentiles and he's mad and the disciples are making small talk. They're distracting him uh, and they say, Master, look at these beautiful stones. Look at these marvelous stones. Well, he's, that, doesn't that sound like small talk to you? He's, he's been in the temple his whole life. He's seen the stones in the temple, okay? And that doesn't work. He's still mad, okay? And uh, he says, you see those stones? Not one stone's gonna be left on top of the other. That's what he says. Um, And I showed you the picture where that's literally true. There's a big pile of these stones and not one is, of the temple, there's not one stone that's left on top of the other. But then what happens is they go over to the Mount of Olives and they're overlooking the temple court uh, and they ask Jesus two questions. Now the questions are different in the different gospels somewhat. And so let me give you, uh, let me give you the, the, the versions. In Matthew, the two questions are one, when will these things happen? And two, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, that fits my understanding the best, so we're going to look at the Matthew passage, okay? In Luke, the two questions are, when will these things happen? Two, what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Which is not the same thing, not quite the same thing, is it? In Mark's version, the first question is, when will these things happen? And two, what will be the sign that when they are about to be accomplished? And what you need to know is the disciples think that's the same. Those two questions are one question. Because what Jesus has described to them sounds like the end of the world. When Jesus says not one stone is going to be left on top of the other, the temple is going to be destroyed, you're a Jewish person, that's the end of the world. But the truth is, the temple is going to be destroyed, and then we all know then there are going to be centuries and centuries of time after that. And so I think that's, but again, that's why, um, that's why Matthew, Matthew's version is the, is the clearest, because it fits my theory. And so <laughs> what happens is Jesus gives them two answers. Uh, they ask two questions. He gives them two answers. The first answer is 
uh, historical, full of, full of historical detail. And he's describing the destruction of the temple in 70 AD that many of them will live to see. Okay? So the first, uh, Jesus' first answer is something you can run away from. That's the simplicity of it. The second answer is something you can't run away from. So see if, see if this makes sense to you. So this is the, the, Jesus' answer to the first question. He says, there will be false messiahs, but they should not allow themselves to be deceived. Well, that happened. Bar Kokhba was, was proclaimed by Akiba, the greatest rabbi of that era, in 132 AD to be the messiah. So there were, there were false messiahs. So that happened. Uh, secondly, he says, there will be wars and rumors of wars, but they need to understand that such things happened. When haven't there been wars and rumors of wars? Okay, so things are going to keep going on. Three, there will be earthquakes and famines, but these are only the beginning. Okay, there were five major earthquakes one in Crete, 46 AD, one in Rome in 51, one in Phrygia in 53, and one in Camponia in 63 AD. So, right before up to 70, there were a lot of earthquakes. There were three great famines. Uh, there was one during the reign of Claudius. Uh, in, uh, in Judea in 44 AD. There was one in Greece in 50. There was Rome in, one in Rome in 52. 65 AD was the worst year for famines and earthquakes in the entire history of Rome. This is leading up to 70 AD. Okay? So, 60, so, so I'm, what I'm saying is when Jesus says there are going to be earthquakes and famines, there were. There was an increase in them up to, uh, up to the year 70. Uh, and four, he said, you will be persecuted, but the gospel must be for, preached, first preached to all nations. Now, Luke 21, 20 adds the detail about the city being besieged. Titus uh, brings three legions, and they besiege the city for a year. And, um, and you, you know the Colosseum in Rome? You know the Colosseum in Rome? That was built with the proceeds from sacking Jerusalem. Titus sacks Jerusalem and the money that he, he gets from destroying Jerusalem, he builds the Colosseum. So every time you see that Colosseum, that's connected to the destruction of Jerusalem, that building is. Um, so Titus builds the Colosseums with the, with the proceeds. Um, and, and Jesus will say something like, it's the worst thing that ever happened. Nothing this bad has ever happened and from the beginning of the world. And that, to us, sounds apocalyptic. But we, you need to know that in, in a, a year of being besieged, there was cannibalism. The, the Jews were killing each other. Um, uh, and there's a story. I'll just read you this one story. This is from Josephus. And Josephus was actually standing outside of the walls during the siege of Jerusalem. And beg, he's Jewish, right? He's begging the Jews to give up. And they don't listen to him. But Josephus, the Jewish wars uh, in book six, tells the story of Mary, Miriam, the daughter of Eliezer, a wealthy woman who lost her, her, who lost her mind and devoured her own baby. Uh, when the soldiers, she was cooking it, when the soldiers uh, came around the corner and saw it, she said, I have eaten, and, and she offered some to the soldiers. And Josephus said, the soldiers went away trembling. That's, you know, we say, oh yeah, the siege of Jerusalem, yeah, the last of the year. It was horrific. 
It was horrific what happened within the walls of Jerusalem. And in one sense, Titus breaking through the walls, they stopped killing each other. In one sense, the killing stopped. Of course, I know he killed a lot of people too. Um, um, The Jewish Christians recognized the signs that Jesus had spoken about, and they fled to the city of Pella before Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, And Eusebius tells us about that in book three. And uh, of his church histories. So there were, there were at least a group of Christians who had heard Jesus' concrete predictions, and when they saw it happening, they got out of Dodge, and, and they took a lot of Jewish people with them to the city of Pella, and, um, and again, Jesus is describing something you can run away from, and they ran away. The second part of his answer he describes something you can't run away from. It's apocalyptic. And we're going to see this. I'm just preparing you to, for the read-through. Two women will be grinding grain. One will be taken. The other left. That kind of thing. Okay? Um, so let's look at the passage. And hopefully this will become uh, clear just by reading it. I probably should have just read it to you. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on the other. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this thing happen? Or when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? Two questions. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Simon bar um, the you know, that happened. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Okay? Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So wars and rumors of wars is not a sign that the end's coming. But what do we say when a war starts someplace? Oh, the end must be coming. Wars and rumors of wars. That's not what he meant. Nation will rise against nation, king against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from the faith and will hate and betray each other. And all these things happened. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Uh, 2 Timothy refers to people being without natural affection. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom uh, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, Titus sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. That was the abomination that caused the desolation of the temple. Spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee. He's describing something you can run away from. Let no one uh, on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one go uh, in the field, go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight... He's describing something, the second coming you don't run away from. 
he's describing something you can run away from. Pray that your flight won't be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never equaled again. And I, I, at that point, I have my reference to, to Josephus and the cannibalism. Um, so so if, if someone says, here's the Christ, don't believe it. Um, so on it goes. Um, Uh, but here's, here's the shift. Here's the answer to the second question. I'm skipping down to verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give his light. The star f- stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That's apocalyptic. You don't run away from that. You see the difference? There's this concrete language of an event that you can run away from and now he's talking about something that nobody can run away from. At that time, The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory and he will send, see this is apocalyptic, he will send his angels uh, with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of uh, heavens to the other And, and on it goes Uh, Verse, uh, I'm skipping down, 33. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near, right at the door. Um, uh, No one, verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour. um, And on and on it goes. Therefore, the conclusion of verse 42 is, therefore keep watch because you do not know uh, on what day your Lord will come. And so let, let me, we're out of time. Let me, let me just sort of summarize this. I call this liberating because Jesus' teaching frees us from having to be preoccupied with signs. Is there prophecy? Absolutely. You know, uh, are there signs of the coming of the end of the age? Absolutely. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, study those things. Please don't misunderstand me. But my, my take on this is, this is liberating because what I take away from this is, you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for the sound of a trumpet and, and an apocalyptic moment where I see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Because otherwise, Jesus says, nobody knows when that's going to happen. Jesus says, I don't know when that's going to happen. And I think that's, is that not liberating for you? And so how can we spend our time trying to figure out if the locusts are B-52 bombers or being scared when there's some little sign that happens? No. We're waiting for the return of Christ. And in the meantime, we are his sent ones who are caught up in his identity and we love each other. We wash each other's feet with the water of his word. You know, we show his hesed. We do all the things that we're called to do and we are liberated from the fear of what's happening. And that for me is just, that's made a big difference in my life. And uh, again, uh, there are still questions. I I don't have all the answers to all the questions, but I think if we listen to the structure and all the synoptics of Jesus' teaching, you get two questions and two answers, a concrete answer of things you can run away from and apocalyptic answer of things you can't run away from. So I think that's, uh, that's what it's all about. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
Against the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When darkness seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Recorded in studio, Michael Card with Christ the Solid Rock. And we're so appreciative of having this series, Walk with Jesus from the Cove. It's going to continue here in the days ahead on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe and join us each week. Michael, let's take a moment look at some of the email we've received. I'll yeah. start with this one from Keith. Okay. Just wanted to thank mm-hmm. you for the book and music of the Nazarene. It has fed my soul during a dry and trying time and made me hunger and thirst to really know Jesus the Nazarene. Mm. I appreciate the journey you have taken to know and show us Jesus. I'm taking that journey as well. Signed, Under His Mercy, Keith. And uh, I'll mention that that book, of course, and the music is available on Michael's website, michaelcard.com. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a collection of essays based on four CDs on the Gospels. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear, Keith. Thanks for taking the time to uh, in, encourage uh, encourage me that that book was helpful to you. It's just water to wash your feet. Okay, here's one from Avril, and uh, I think she's from Ireland. Uh, yeah. hi, hi, from a tiny village in the south of Ireland, I write to tell you that I came across your book, A Sacred Sorrow. I have no words to express to you what this book has done for me. It's the missing piece of 40 years. Wow. Wow. Um, Yeah. uh, It feels like I've never quite known where to place myself, and now I do. I feel like it's given me wings and the freedom to fly wholeheartedly in his arms with all of me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Avril. Wow, and I, I hear that in her beautiful Irish accent, and it and it's uh, <laughs> even more even more encouraging. Uh, thank but, you, Avril. Yeah, and thank you, Keith. And anyone who wants to write to, to Michael, you can do it with our email address in the studio at michaelcard.com. And of course, the website is michaelcard.com for lots of resources. All right, well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have a study in John chapter 8. That's coming up in the studio with Michael Card. The Christian Standard Bible. Scholarly, accurate, readable, current. That's why we're excited to partner with CSB. I'm glad we're partnering with the CSB. I got to see firsthand the way godly scholars work together on this Bible translation. 
Now I get to use the CSB in my study and teaching. Visit csbible.com and explore the variety of options available to get this fresh translation into your hands. And when you order, receive your 40% discount on your CSB purchase at Lifeway when you use the promotion code CARD40. Just type CARD40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. The Christian Standard Bible, a great translation, a great selection, and a great discount. So many study Bibles and editions designed to make God's Word accessible in our busy lives. Choose a copy that fits your needs online at csbible.com. I hope you'll find one that will help you get serious about reading God's Word. Back in the studio now with Michael Card. It's not the Mole End studio now, though, Mike, where we're going to go in just a few moments. That's where we started out. Yeah, and those were good days, but that was a harder time because you and Joe would have to come all the way from Chicago. I mean, that was hard. Hey, uh, that was fun. That was really? Those were great trips. Are you kidding? Yeah, but, Joe's nodding his head as well. Yeah, but now we sit in our in, a, in front of our laptop computers and in the comfort of our, <laughs> our, our home. At least I'm in the comfort of my home. You guys are still in the studio in Chicago. Well, let's go back in time then. This was the 19th episode of what we started. It was called Join the Journey at that time. Here's Michael. And Wayne, we're looking at one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of John, the passage on the woman taken in adultery, mm-hmm. which is uh, one I think that uh, is a lot of people's favorite. You have uh, written and sung a song for many years now called Forgiving Eyes. Uh, that comes from this passage, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and, and it's an attempt just to try to get into this woman's mind and her, her experience with the forgiveness of Jesus, who, mm-hmm. who as Frederick Buechner said, would not condemn her because he would be condemned for her. Wow. So it's a... Well, that's what you do so well, is to take these texts and make them come alive, so to speak, through your music. We're going to enjoy hearing you sing Forgiving Eyes in just a moment, but as we think about the text, why don't we read it uh, together? Why don't you read it for us, Michael? Okay. The, where, where it occurs in the Gospel of John, right, of course, between right at the end of chapter 7, there's some question. It's referred to as a textual floater, and, and a lot of... Uh, Listeners out there may have a little note in their Bible that mm-hmm. says the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, you know, ha- have it somewhere else or something like that. Should that cause concern for us? I, I really don't think it should. Uh, it, it is true that it occurs in some different manuscripts in different places. In one uh, one of the oldest manuscripts, it's in Luke. It's in the Gospel of Luke. So <laughs> that's why that's where the floating part it comes. Definitely <laughs> is a floater. But um, I think once we read it. Uh, the consensus is that it certainly is a story that belongs in the Gospels. And it certainly is consistent with everything else that we know about Jesus. It is. And, I mean, I would like to really make a case even for it being where it is in John, because at the end of chapter 7, we have the temple guards who have been sent to arrest Jesus coming back. Uh, they disobeyed orders, basically, these big Benjaminite football player type <laughs> uh, temple guards. And the, the Pharisees are angry because they've disobeyed orders and they've not brought him back. And so I really believe this whole attempt to trap Jesus with the woman is the Pharisees and the, the priests taking matters into their own hands. It's a setup, isn't it? I think it is. Well, let's take a look at John chapter 8 here. Okay. Then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? 
They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. One of those powerful Mm -hmm. moments and very personal moments that we find in, in the Word of God. The, the, the picture there, the, the, the morning sunlight, uh, you know, the court that's filled with people who are all there to be taught. And, and then in the midst of uh, what I would suppose would be a relatively calm teaching time, the, the turmoil of this woman being dragged in, uh, it, 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 it's a wonderful picture. Verse 3 says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are the ones who, who create this turmoil by bringing this this woman to Christ. And we know they've been trying to lay a trap for Jesus all along and never succeed in trapping him. Of course, they have to, in the end, resort to false testimony and that sort of thing to to get Jesus into trouble. And what they've done here is is formulated a situation where either answer that Jesus gives mm-hmm. is going to get him into trouble. Mm-hmm. If he says, yes, stone her, he's in trouble with the Romans because the Romans have taken away the power of life and death from the Jews. And so the, the, the Pharisees can take Jesus to the Romans and say, he's breaking your law. But then, of course, if he says, no, don't stone her, then he's breaking Jewish law and he's in trouble with them. He's condoning adultery. Yeah. The uh, the fact here that she was caught, according to them, in an act of adultery, um, much has been said through the years is, where's the man? You know, she's the one who's brought for accusation in front of Christ. That, that's right. That's the favorite thing that people like to resort to, you know, uh, um, in particular people who say, oh, the scripture is biased towards men and that sort of thing. But the truth is, I mean, the Levitical law uh, condemns that both people in Leviticus 20, both people be stoned to death. So mm. there's no, you know, favoritism for men over women. Uh, I think what what we see here is uh, the Pharisees and the and the teachers of the law perhaps being biased. They let this man go. Who knows? There may have been one of them. That's another favorite idea that people have is that you know he might have been one of them. And who knows, maybe that's behind what happens later, this whole business of the, the oldest people leave first. You know, maybe there was some connection, but that that's all speculation. Michael, you talk a lot about the disciplined use of the imagination. I think that comes into play here because you've thought about this text and imagine what it was uh, like from the man's perspective. I, re- I really did, and I think that that's a good perspective to tell the story from, and I tried to fictionalize that in, in a, a commentary on John that I wrote a few years ago. His telling the story of being caught with this uh, with this woman. We won't tell the whole story here that uh, that you envision, but the idea is that uh, he eventually comes to Christ through this this whole crisis time and and finds forgiveness himself. Yes, even as the woman found forgiveness, mm-hmm. which which again I hope <laughs> I hope that's how how it happened. Well, we're going to ask you to sing in a few moments, Michael. But I've got to ask you: when Jesus bent down yeah. and, and wrote in the sand, now again, lots of ideas have been brought to the surface of what he might be writing there, if it meant anything at all. What is your perspective? On that. Well, that, that's another little detail that is uh, is one of my favorites. I, I, lo- I love the things that Jesus will say and do. He won't answer people's questions, and they'll keep asking him, or he'll turn away, or he'll 
refer to some physical object that's right there. And and uh, the gospel writers are so faithful at giving us those details. And and this the detail of him bending down and writing on the ground uh, again to almost to diffuse all of this emotion that's that's there. Uh, it must have infuriated them. They must have felt like they were being ignored. Well, the, the Greek word uh, for him writing is a word katagraphein. Graf, graphein means, of course, to write. Kata means down. So it, literally, he was writing down something. It, he, he's not just doodling or... Not just know. tracing something. No, I, I don't think so. I think the word specifically means he was writing down something. And some commentators will go so far as to say he was making a list, that katagraphein means to make a list. And there's a there's a passage in Jeremiah seventeen thirteen that says, um, you know, all those who uh, deny you, their, their names will be written in the dust. Mm. And uh, I think we can see that as a prophetic word uh, that points directly to this story. Uh, and so probably another good way to understand the conclusion of the story, where the elder people leave first, which is another sort of mysterious detail, is that Jesus is writing their names down. And there's even an ancient... Uh, version of this text that says he was writing on the ground their various names hmm. so uh well we're told that after he writes on the ground he stands up and says if any one of you is without sin let him be the first to throw a stone and then again he stoops down and writes a second time mm-hmm. and at this they begin to walk away yeah. uh, beginning with the older ones first so that makes sense that their names were they they saw their names written in the in the ground there. Yeah, I think if there's some there's there has to be some reason why John tells us the older ones left first and some people say well of course they were more mature and they understood blah blah blah. But I think the the whole writing on the ground business may be may be the best indication, yeah. That's fascinating. Well, we come to Jesus and the woman. Mm. Finally they they're all gone and it's just the two of them. Yeah, and again, what a beautiful picture that is. Here's this woman probably, you know, out of breath and and certainly scared frightened right yeah. down to her toenails and uh everyone leaves Jesus looks up and they're gone and and this whole business of woman that's a that's a tender you know he's he's addressing her very gently and very tender tenderly woman gune is the word uh woman where are they has no one condemned you and and you can imagine her looking around and seeing that all of her accusers are gone and of course the only one who could have thrown a stone let him who is without sin is standing mm-hmm. there with her, and of mm-hmm. course, of course, he's not going to throw throw a stone at her. Once again, Frederick Beekner, I love this quote. He said, "Jesus would not condemn her, because he would be condemned for her." What a beautiful idea that is. Jesus' last words are, "Go now and leave your life of sin." What do you make of that? Well, that makes it clear that Jesus isn't being soft on adultery. Uh, A lot of people believe that the reason this is a textual floater is that some of the early Christians were afraid, oh, he's letting this woman off. And we know from Paul's writing that adultery was a real problem in the early church, as it is now. Uh, But he's not being soft on adultery at all, but he's being soft on this woman. He's being gentle with her and, and giving her the charge, go now and leave your life of sin. And you have to... You have to know that she is going to be hanging on every word he says at this point. Well, Mikey, you're such a student of the Scriptures, and we love it when you turn around and teach us the Scriptures as you're doing here today, but you also sing the Scriptures to us. And while we're right here in your studio, as we do each week, we like to ask you to sing a song that goes along with our theme here. So Forgiving Eyes is the song we'd like to ask you to sing right now.
shouts, the cruel accusations dragged to the court. No hope of salvation, all hope was lost. For those who had caught me knew what I was. They knew all about me. I thought it seemed strange as we entered in. They stopped a young rabbi to ask his opinion. Caught in the act, their reason for hating my body could feel. The stones that were waiting, my judge, a man from Galilee, in his eyes so gentle I could see a father and a brother and a son. Just as I saw him, the hope I had lost became born again. I was not hopeless, though I'd been lost. Now I felt I was found when he looked at me with his forgiving eyes. The crowd gathered round, so angry and violent. But he stood beside me, peaceful and silent. Then, with a word, with one question, he showed them that they too were guilty and could not condemn. The next thing I knew, he asked me, "Where are they?" And I looked around. The courtyard was empty, the stones scattered round, the warm morning sunlight. He'd made the darkness perfectly light. In this new light, now I understood he would not condemn me, though he could, for he would be condemned someday for me. Just as I saw him, the hope I had lost became born. Michael, you can just picture Jesus looking at this woman with those eyes and saying, "Go and leave your life of sin." And it all—it all happened in the morning. There was a light that was dawning, and I think that's symbolic too. John loves the image of light and darkness, because for this woman now, there's a whole new light that's coming into her life. The song we heard Michael Card sing is called "Forgiving Eyes," and this is "Joy in the Journey" as we look into the scriptures this week on this theme of forgiveness. Uh, Wayne, in First John, there's a passage that talks about the darkness and the light. Why, why don't you read that for us? All right. It's First John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That passage could have been a commentary on John 8. You know, hmm. I wonder if John even had that in mind when he wrote, wrote it, because he That's refers right. to these people who say they're without sin. That's the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the scribes mm-hmm. and uh, the, the people who, who are intent in not walking in the darkness anymore. That's this woman. So we may not have the same sin that this woman was accused of. We may not be adulterers, but we certainly are sinners. But let's, yeah, let's not fool ourselves either. Uh, and that's a, that's a popular dodge now as, as even the concept of sin in, uh, in our time in America is, is uh, out of favor and, and it's not seen as the darkness, you know, that it truly is. We it's, make bad choices and mistakes. Right. And, um, I can imagine people listening to this uh, radio program, and even even our talking about sin is something that's turning them off, and um, hopefully they haven't switched the dial <laughs> off yet. But um, if you if you listen to your own heart, I, I I think you'll recognize that there is a neediness that you have, that that I have, that all of us uh, recognizes there. We know that there is darkness in in us. We know that there is fallenness and there is fragileness. And every one of us, I think, recognizes the need for a Savior. I think we we try to satisfy that need in all sorts of wrong ways and and on our own. And, and, And like John says, sometimes we claim to be without sin and we even end up deceiving ourselves. But the truth is, we all need to come to that place of the woman who stands before Jesus absolutely needy, absolutely helpless, absolutely forsaken, and realize that he is the only person that we can find forgiveness from. Confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. If we turn around, that's what repentance is. And and the Bible assures us, uh, again, we have this wonderful assurance that we are not going to be uh, driven away. We are. We will be adopted. We will be accepted. Grace will be extended to us. We will receive the same reception that this woman received. You know, I, I will not condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. Jesus will not condemn us because he has been condemned for us. And that's the good news of the gospel. Wayne, I have a, a hymn book in front of me that has an old hymn. This is 1771, um, but it, it's called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Uh, words were written by William Cowper so long ago. But again, here is a man who recognized his own need for this forgiveness, for this light. And let me play just a couple of verses All of right. this hymn. Michael here in the studio as he moves to the piano. Let's, let's listen now. There.
precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more be saved to sin no faith I saw that stream thy flowing wounds supply redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die and shall be till I die and shall be It is so good to hear a song like that. Uh, as you said, it comes from many, many years ago, but has not lost any of its truth, has it, Michael? It hasn't. We we stand in a continuous line in a worshiping community with, uh, with William Cowper and people like him. Talk to all of us who know today that we are sinners, that we have sins that we need to confess to the Father, mm-hmm. but, but talk to us about that. Well, uh, this is not a word that's just to the sinners. I mean, uh, the Pharisees were the ones that divided everyone up into righteous and sinners. Uh, the Bible has told us that we, we all sin, and John in that first passage says, you know, we, we have all sinned. Right. And so the word goes out to people who have embraced Christ as their Savior, who still need to keep recognizing and confessing their sin, but as well, and perhaps most pointedly, to people who've never said yes to him. Because uh, today can be the day that you find this forgiveness, this light that the woman uh, who was caught in adultery found. Today could be the day that that burden can be lifted because Jesus has promised to do that for us. Perhaps this conversation today from the Word here has uh, caused you to open your eyes a bit to what's inside your own heart. And confession, confession is really just saying with God that, I agree with you, God. I know there's some things in my heart that need to be fixed. Yeah, confession is recognizing your own neediness for forgiveness and recognizing that you can't do it on your own. Mm -hmm. And we have this one who has died for our sins and who validated his power and his authority by being raised from the dead. We can turn to this person, and again, like the woman, I keep referring to her because she's so much on my mind. Like the woman, we can hear those words, I do not condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. But for the person who's listening, and from experience, I know that people like this tune in all the time who say, but you don't know what I've done. You Mm -hmm. just don't understand how dark it is inside Mm -hmm. me. And, of course, you and I don't know the particulars of everyone's life. Only God does. But the point is, God does know. And we can't, of course, shock or surprise God by anything we've done. Uh, And, again, we have the assurance of Scripture that he is that Father who will forgive anything because he died for the sins of the whole world. Mm We have a couple of minutes left, Michael. Let's let's spend this time in prayer. Let's pray for the person who's listening that uh, their eyes would be open, that they would confess their sins, that they would come to the light and, and receive this forgiveness mm. that's offered by Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pray. 
First of all, Lord, I want to pray for the opening of my own eyes to my own sin and to my own neediness. Uh, Lord, I would I would ask that uh, my own experience and Wayne's experience this day would be that we might find ourselves before you in this new light, in this morning of, uh, of forgiveness, that we might hear the stones dropping all around us because we are uh, rightfully men who who could be stoned. Mm-hmm. We are uh, rightfully men who could be condemned, who have uh, taken advantage of, of your grace so many times. So first of all, Lord, we want to come clean. We want to repent. We want to turn around and, and acknowledge that you are the only hope we have. But we would also come and, and ask for those who are listening, who've never said yes to you, that they might somehow, by your Spirit, feel drawn, that they might somehow, again, by your Spirit, sense uh, that there is a darkness that only your light can enlighten, that there is a neediness and a hunger that only you can satisfy, and that they might be led by your Spirit to stand before your presence, before your very Son, this day, even this moment, that they might recognize that they need to repent and accept the free gift that comes from the one who so graciously says, I'm not going to condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. We would ask, Lord, that everyone who would pray that prayer today would find themselves following you, would find themselves walking in your light even this day and beginning a new life with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Michael Card, thank you for this study of the Word today. As we close here today, let's go back to where we started, John chapter 8. The song that came out of this passage in your own heart is called Forgiving Eyes. We heard it earlier. I'm going to ask you to sing again here as we rejoice in the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. Just as I saw Him, the hope I had lost became born again. I was not hopeless, though I'd been lost. Now I felt I was found when he looked at me with his forgiving eyes. If the conversations in this session have sparked some new thinking or shined some light on an important truth, please take a moment and pass along your comments to us. There's several ways to do this. Post a review of this podcast, pass along the link to a friend, or email your reactions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. And stay current with Michael's ministry and interact with other listeners when you check out the Michael Card Music Facebook page. We're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com. The Bible is the foundation of all we do in this podcast, and we're happy to point you to the many ways you can read and study with this fresh translation in your hands. Explore all that's available for you and use the 40% discount on CSB purchases at Lifeway. Use the promotion code CARD40. Just type CARD40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. Choose a copy that fits your needs online at csbible.com. And join us again next week for another podcast edition. Now for Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for sitting in on this session in the studio with Michael Card.